We're back for season six of my podcast. I'm all about putting the human factor back into business by helping organisations become places where people are happy, well and able to perform at their best. And that's what my guests shed light on with their expertise and experience. As those who know me will be very familiar with, my mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. And that means we'll be covering a whole range of topics that impact on employee experience, engagement and mental well-being. And many of you will know that I hate tick boxes. So we'll be kicking those out, getting beneath the surface of shiny new initiatives, stripping back layers of complexity and going back to the fundamentals of good business. That's the people. This series runs alongside the launch of Leadership Labs and Manager Labs that I'm excited to be facilitating with the fabulous Gemma Ellison of Heart Leadership. These are interactive and dynamic communities that turn typical L&D on its head. If you are a manager or leader and want an opportunity to problem solve, challenge the status quo, experiment and evaluate all within a small supportive group, get in touch. More information and contact details are in the podcast notes. I'm your host, Lisa, psychologist, psychotherapist and founder of It's Time for Change. Thank you for joining me on Beyond the Water Cooler. So today I welcome Kathy Heath of the Healthy Minds Club, a personalized health and well-being platform that connects users with experts, products and services to achieve better well-being and lifestyle goals. And Kathy's going to explain that a ton better than I just have in a moment. Um, but just to say to the listeners, I'm a fan of the Healthy Minds Club, um, not only because I'm one of the experts um, on there, but also I love the way that the club has grown and it's to be so actually so comprehensive and from what it was and Kathy you can explain a little bit more about that in a moment um but from what it was to what it is now and you and I talk the same language in terms of what we actually mean by well-being so I'm really looking forward to today so welcome Kathy thank you Lisa thanks for having me really pleased to be here tell us more about what the Healthy Minds Club is does how it came about and how it's evolved how it came about well this is this is where it gets a bit interesting because it was actually I think like most businesses born of a personal experience of mine um so fast kind of rewind about 15 to 20 years <laughs> um probably more like 10 to 15 but anyway um I I experienced something in the workplace that was quite negative for me and I managed to turn it around um, and I spent a lot of time kind of doing the work and understanding myself and enlisting the help of experts like yourself, Lisa. Um, so I worked with a life coach. I worked with a counsellor. I worked with a positive psychologist. I worked with a nutritionist, a personal trainer, a yoga teacher, a meditator. I did all of those things to build my own plan. And I had never felt better in my entire life. And I just thought, wow, if I could only bottle this and you know and 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 help others I just my mission was literally I just don't want anybody to go through what I've been through and so that's when the kind of you know the journey the well-being journey for me started um, it took me quite a while to get it going um, I actually built another company which was a training business um, and um, after Covid decided right this is this is the time the training business was great but when we left the individuals I felt like where's the extra support how do we take them to that next step to really drive the change um which i know is a passion of yours lisa mm -hmm. and so i decided um how could i actually bring all these experts to a corporate to really shape the corporate space and so i then started working with 
positive psychologists, counsellors, personal trainers, nutritionists, meditators, um, counsellors, um, uh, life coaches. And I thought, how can I bring them to, to a corporate? So I thought about lots of things. I, talk, I thought about bell tents on, you know, corporate lawns. Um, ideally, I'd love to have, you know, an actual physical place. Um, but having with my payments expertise, thought, oh, I'm, I understand gift cards. And I had a significant um, network in the gift card space and identified a gap that there were no gift cards that helped with, you know, positive well-being. Um, and so that's what we did. We built a gift card with six expert types and 10 experts to start off with, one of which you were one of the founding members. So we're super grateful to you, Lisa, being on the journey from the start. Um, and the idea is, is that when a gift card is purchased by an employer or an employee, they land on our website and the journey is personalized to them based on the methodology that I've built in the past. And we've just grown from beyond there. So we now have, um, as of two weeks ago, 21 expert categories, 170 plus experts. Um, and they range from, you know, added on from that, we have uh, menopause, men's health, mindfulness coaching, financial expertise, um, a range of support that supports the prevention of mental, financial and physical well-being issues. Surrounded by that, we have a range of educational resources. So and, and I will you know, happily say that these resources, they're not built by us. They're built by these wonderful experts that we have the pleasure of working with. So podcasts, this one is in there. Mm -hmm. um, we have um, articles with kind of action plans and links to the, the expert categories, um, apps, um, online courses, um, ebooks, workshops, well-being experiences, a whole host of well-being products that I've handpicked with great brands, and a discounts portal. And the idea is is that beyond the gift card, we have now created a membership, which is a hyper personalised access. Um, so. And, and this, this, you know, this is offered to every individual so that they receive their personalized well-being experience. Lisa, I don't know about you, but when you talk to people about well-being, generally what we've seen as a trend is that people do something when something's wrong rather mm -hmm. than proactively preventing it. So they don't know where to start. If I wanted to talk to someone, how do I do it? And maybe they see it as a personal development, you know, exercise mm. um, but the idea is is that you know a corporate and an individual should empower themselves to really do the work understand themselves understand you know what could what positively and negatively influences their well-being and actually have the tools on hand to support them there and then so and yeah. I like I like the the fact that you've kind of normalized the fact that um everyone can benefit from some support whatever that looks like whatever that's about and you know you've got stuff around leadership or you've got stuff around men's health or you know you've got there's so much there that it's almost this one-stop place I like your you always said just now about capturing everything in a bottle it's almost like the bottle is the healthy minds club and people can go there and and work out what what they need what's going to be helpful to them knowing that that actually that's going to change as well from where I am right now to next month or next year yeah, absolutely. So from an employer perspective, they can see it as a universal platform. Mm. They can use it for well-being, but equally they can use it as a benefit, as an incentive, as a reward for learning and development, as an, you know, an employee assistance program to support on an ongoing basis. Mm. And the other thing about the platform is once they've worked on those priorities, I and mean, it's a bit like the leg of a table, 
when you've secured one, another one becomes loose, but you can review those things aligned with your values and priorities and what's going on in your life. So it's not a one-stop shop. You do it once and that's it. It's just, yeah. We all need to work on ourselves, just like we need to go to the gym and keep our muscles and our bodies fit. We need to do the same with our with our mind and our finances, etc. Yes, yes. And often that's the bit that people don't necessarily prioritise um, because it's not so it doesn't seem such a big need people just carry on they just carry with them whatever's going on in their mind just go oh, I'll sort that out another day or it's just part of who I am and they don't think about you know if if people want to go to the, the gym because they feel they need to do some weight or they want to give up smoking because of their health or whether there's a particular driver but for people's minds often people just accept that's how it is yeah well, we didn't have to change it <laughs> No, it doesn't have to be. And I, but I think genuinely a lot of the issue is two, twofold is that an individual doesn't know where to start. Mm. You might feel it's a bit like the, the mental health continuum. On the one side, you're mentally ill. On the other side, you're, you know, flourishing, living your best life. Most people sit in the middle. This is the, you know, the, the rule of positive psychology. We're sitting there languishing, going, not bad. Who wants to be not bad? Yeah. I want to pick up the phone and go yeah not bad no I'm I want to be amazing and everybody should be striving for that but the other thing is as well is they think that I feel like there's an obligation on the you know they think it's an NHS thing it's not you know do, do, do you expect the NHS to pay for your gym membership no mm. we don't the NHS doesn't it's up to you as an individual to proactively take care of yourself um but I think with the mind we've come quite far with you know it's okay not to be okay right everybody knows that phrase mm. we've made to talk about mental health we've made that okay but still there's a gap okay it's okay not to be okay and I'm going to talk to someone but actually what can I do to actually make sure that I am not only am I just okay I'm actually brilliant where do I start that's mm. really what we wanted to create we've given you know we've personalized well-being so people know where to start if they want to talk to someone they have the expert categories that they can go to if they don't they want to work on themselves then there are things they can do just quietly on their own um you know or they can join workshops or online courses they can do whatever that whatever they want if they don't want to talk to someone or do anything they can buy something that would potentially help them you know um mindfulness you know we've got yoga sets and weighted blankets or or yeah. or blenders and juices for to help with your nutrition um yeah so, so what let's go back a step then and think about what do we actually mean by well-being because more organizations are understanding the importance of it more of them are talking about it um and you're right that i think some people feel daunted about where to start what when you think about well-being what do you mean specifically by that term I think the term is, I said it to you just a few minutes ago, well-being, we are human beings. Mm. And, you know, if you look at the, if you look outside to the macroeconomic climate, whether it's financial or, you know, there are health, we've had obviously health issues with COVID. Um, it's hit a lot of people. It is, it's more than just something you do on the Saturday or a Sunday. Mm. It is, it is you as an individual whether it's your health, whether it's your finances, whether it's your fitness level, whether it's your personal development. Um, it literally is the core of who you are and how you function as a human being. Do you agree? Yeah, oh, completely. And I think the link between uh, people's well-being and their performance is so clear now. And actually, I was, um, I've mentioned this uh, in other conversations, but talking with uh, investors and people as part of a um a group looking at 
what he meant by um, Sunday night blues and actually how they come about and how we need to address them. And actually that sense of, and, and on within the group I was part of, the conversations around people's stress on a Sunday, or they don't enjoy a Sunday at all. They can't engage with their family or fun activities because they're thinking about what's happening at work on the Monday. The impact on their well-being, the impact on their family as well. And of course, when they turn up on the Monday and they haven't slept on the Sunday night, they are feeling tired. They're feeling stressed. We just need to sit down and work out the what, which is just by asking the questions, finding out what people are worrying about. Is it because they got a meeting first thing on a Monday morning um, that actually if it's moved to a Tuesday morning will take the pressure off? You know, what is it that is that's getting in the way of people being able to sleep and, and experience a sense of healthy well-being? But but people sometimes I think still miss the obvious links mm, yeah. um, in terms of you know looking at the looking at the big picture which is outside of the hours not just as work hours so if it's no one has a nine to five anymore but if nine to five were your hours actually what's going on outside of that because that's also impacting on how someone shows up at work yeah no absolutely it could be it could be something at home it could be money mm. um, but I think that sense of dread about going to work then I would question are you in the right role the right job mm. <laughs> are you doing what's right for you or is it a case of this meeting you go to on a Monday, you feel like an imposter mm. um, and that's something you absolutely need to work on? Or is it a limiting belief that's put rear in its head? Do you not feel like you're good enough for your job or the business that you work in? Um, have you got too much work? Have you got conflict going on with somebody? Mm. Once you understand, I mean, I'm all about root cause. Once you understand the root cause, it can all be fixed. Yeah. Um, and that's part of our personalization process. Um, and yes, that's, understanding. That's wonderful experts. Yeah. yeah help with that so there is a there is an answer for it but it's and it's not a case of doing an engagement survey every six months or you know or saying oh I do I check well-being because I ask a well-being question no there's more there's more to that I think it has to fit you know and we, we create these wonderful solutions but equally we also say to employers look this is not a silver bullet you have to a get the executive sponsorship around it um b there has to be good communication um, internally around it um, and you know the right the right measurement because mm. if you don't understand what's going on um, you know. and what are you measuring so when I'm talking you know you and I before we um, press record today we're talking about umpteen surveys that exist and so on and actually what are people looking at and are they connecting that you know people talk about employee experience and you've mentioned employee engagement actually the connection between that and people's uh, mental health and well-being and actually we've got to um I always talk about drawing the dots but we've got to start understanding that um how how people are feeling in that moment not when it gets their six monthly survey not when it gets that annual appraisal but in that moment on every day how are we feeling when we show up at work yeah. and um yeah and how engaged are we there was a really interesting um uh report the the Gallup state and I know there's so many uh, different reports around but um, one of the figures that caught my attention was the Gallup State of the Global Workforce Report last year found that only 33% of employees are thriving in their overall well-being. So there's, there's a lot of business there, Cathy. <laughs> and 44% and, um, and of employees experienced stress a lot the previous day, compared to 39% in the whole of Europe. So in the UK, it's it's there's a higher level of stress. And I still worry about the fact that we've almost normalized that. If you say to someone, how are you doing? And it's like, well, I'm 
stressed about such and such. It's like, oh yeah, well, I'm stressed about this too. We we end up just having that's part of our narrative, that's part of who we are. And if we if you were to say, I'm not stressed, I feel really calm and I feel in control and I'm just feeling really good about things, whether there's that sort of other message going on about we're well, not really working hard enough then. I need something else to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think so going back to kind of what employers can do, I think one is you know, you, with the exec sponsorship, there needs to be the creation of that culture to have that conversation. Mm. That's the first thing. Mm. And then from a measurement perspective, I'd love to see the day. I'm not CIPD qualified. Maybe I should have gone down that road, actually, thinking about how passionate mm. I'm about people. But, you know, when I worked for big corporates, we always have performance contracts. Yeah. And you have your KPIs and what you need to deliver. But sometimes we had a personal development part of that, which I always thought was really good. Mm. But what about the well-being? Why can't we have well-being goals? Because those well-being goals probably link to our career and, and how, how we perform as individuals. So that, yes. that's something I want to say. But going back to stress, and I think, an, you know, well, as individuals, but equally as employers, we need to decide, do you want to wait for something to happen? Or do you actually want to, you know, create something amazing and proactively prevent it? Mm. Um, and you know, when it comes to kind of engagement and measurement, that I think one of the big mistakes that's made is that people think I've got great engagement scores. I once did this. I had a company that I worked with, amazing engagement scores actually, and they did our well-being index from one of our partners. Um, and do you know, it, their eyes were on stalks. There were red flags everywhere. Guess what? Half those people who were really engaged were headed for burnout. Mm because they were so stressed mm. so okay but then you go down to the obligations and I think unfortunately this is where the box ticking comes in so there isn't a law that says you have to take care of the well-being but there is a law that says in certain cases you have to treat mental health issues as a you know um, <clears throat> as part of a law and it's the Equality Act mm. you should call Equality and Diversity Act now called Equality Act of 2010 so mental health is classed as a disability in certain circumstances and it is if it has lasted for 12 months or it is forecast to last for 12 months that can include um things like pmdd so that's a very severe form of pms or you know perimenopause or anything that creates a mental health mm. issue, depression anxiety that kind of thing and in this case then reasonable adjustments must be made they're protected by the law but if they haven't got to that point there's no protection from the law. However, the health and safety executive states that stress risk assessments must be done. And I, I always ask every employer I work with, how do you do it? Um, and a lot of them just say they do a survey, but it's very gray. And I think, well, do you wanna wait for lawsuits to happen? Or do you actually wanna be a great company and decent human beings and actually treat your people who are your best asset? <laughs> You know, I know yeah exactly and that's why I spend so much time working with you know you mentioned just now about the work culture workplace culture around helping leaders think about how people are showing up and creating the right space for people to acknowledge actually how they're feeling and to be self-aware and to be able to take action take responsibility and I think you know we 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 not enough companies are supporting managers to create the space and value the well-being of their teams. So I always feel for managers who are under a huge amount of pressure from above and they're trying to get the best results out of their team. And I still see that practice, which is about push harder, drive harder, 
um, just assume they can get on with it and leave them too far alone or micromanage. Or I mean, it's such a hard balance to get. But very rarely, get back to what you're saying just now about sort of um, valuing and checking in and uh, you know checking that people are actually valuing the, the well-being. Very rarely are managers on a sort of daily basis just checking with how are you? Not about how's your project going or have we done this yet, but just how are you? Or sort of having those conversations if you, when you are having your weekly meeting or your fortnightly meeting, starting off with the, the well-being aspects. And people, they say, I don't have time for that. But if you don't get that bit right, nothing else is going to, to happen on the, you know, well, nothing else good, nothing else productive in, in terms of performance. So we have to get that space and we have to get the skills and the confidence right for people to be able to ask the right kinds of questions about how you want to show up at work, how you want to feel, are you achieving what you want to be achieving, what's getting in the way? And that's what then drives that well-being and that performance, that engagement. If you you turned up to a group of friends, you wouldn't start talking about, you know, how many drinks are we going to have and how drunk are we going to get tonight? What are our KPIs, would you? You'd say, how are you doing? You know, what's going on at home? You'd properly catch up because that's the basis of relationships. Mm. Relationships are what drive performance in an organisation. Yes, and not enough people, but the the relationships come on the back of people creating the time to build those relationships. And that's the bit I always see getting... part of the culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, you've already mentioned um hse and in terms of sort of regulations and so on but i think also there's a shift in terms of how people think about well-being because of the esg agenda and i know from i've spoken to um nicola weir from deloitte and i've spoken to um chris williams from jennings about b corp and so on and actually people are beginning to um more companies are beginning to make those connections between well-being and the, the bigger agenda the ESG agenda are you seeing that how's that impacting um in your on the com- with the companies you're working with I, I still feel like ESG is a buzzword I mean forgive me but when whenever think people think ESG I don't think a lot of people know what the S is no it's social yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that- and that they're, actually their employees have an impact out in the communities that they live and where they serve their customers. Mm. And, you know, I've heard, heard a lot about B Corp and there's a lot of carbon offsetting and measuring this and planting trees. But I really don't see anybody properly measuring the S side of things. That's one of the things I'm trying to change, actually. People need to listen to Chris's episode of this podcast where he talks about um, Corp, B Corp, because he's talking about values led culture and he's taught yeah. and he's much more around the people because I think you're right there's a tendency for people just to focus on the the environment the planet and actually they've got to look at the people who are at the heart of the ESG agenda they've got, yeah. to, they've got to start with people yeah because it's not just the employees it's the employees and their families and the mm-hmm. communities you know where their customers are mm-hmm. and there's a massive opportunity to create sustainable well-being by empowering and supporting people so it's not just about the employees it is about the customers as well um but yeah i've not seen very much traction if i'm completely honest but maybe speak to me in a couple of years and hopefully i'll have you know tried to drive that shift (laughs) yeah it will be interesting to see how people are or you know whether people start to link that um those agendas and make the s bit more um prominent and you know let at least people know about it and again because if we if we have these um these additional 
kind of demands on companies in terms of, you know, you should be meeting this agenda and you should be doing this and you should be doing that. To make that more manageable, we need to pull it together so that it's not just, you know, another thing on the list of what I've got to address. And I think Nicola was actually very good at explaining that in terms of it shouldn't just be another policy. It's not a standalone um, something. It is something that should weave its way in and out of everything you do. And I guess that then fits in with the idea of having a really good well-being strategy. Mm. <laughs> and actually, maybe we have a, a great strategy that ESG fits into or weaves its way through and you know hsc and everything else that we have actually we need to be taking count of these are all threads that run through an overarching people strategy but you know a really important part of that is the, is the well-being but there's a, there's definitely a link with the corporate and social responsibility so what we're trying to do is when we talk to the organizations where quite often you know as you can imagine, oh, we've got a well-being solution in place. It's it's a two-year contract or a five-year contract. Come back when we're doing an RFP, blah, blah, blah. Um, but we'll talk to you about our consumer-facing proposition. And we've got various different, you know, I, I won't go into too much detail, but we are talking to them about how we can impact millions of people with the platform because that's our goal. Mm. So then it would come down to, well, why would you treat your customers differently than the way you would treat your employees? Surely they've all got to link. As part of your your CSR initiative, mm. but we'll see we'll see how that evolves. I think it's too early to, for me to for, for me to give comment. I'm not gonna, you know. You know what? Just talking about the customer experience. So Graham Hill, who actually um, I met with this morning uh, from Insight Six, and he was on my podcast talking about customer experience, and was very mindful of actually before we engage on the, the customer service um, customer experience agenda. We have to start with our employee experience because it's no good trying to push something else until we get things right for the people at the core of our organization. And I think if we just held that principle central to everything we do, get things right for the people at the heart of our organization who are then delivering everything else. And that's the bit that's not rocket science. Yeah, it really isn't. But unfortunately, what we're seeing is things like, have you got a well-being strategy? Yes, I've got an EAP an employee assistance program okay I have no problem with employee assistance programs they catch people and help people when they're actually feeling ill um mentally or physically okay and they probably save millions of lives let's be honest you know so no no issue but that is not a well-being strategy yeah. then okay we've got some mental health first aiders fantastic do do people know what mental health first aid does it teaches people what mental health conditions are which goes down the line of things like, you know, all the way down to bipolar disorder and psychosis and those, you know, difficult, horrific, you know, kind of mental health issues that people can experience. Again, I've got no issue with that, but none of those teach people how to prevent issues from happening in the first place. Um, and you can do Wellness Wednesday as much as you like, you know, you can bring in a yoga teacher or a Pilates teacher, um, but that, that won't help everybody. Um, because you know because Jerry down the road in customer service he's not interested in yoga he's, he couldn't care less he can't lift his head leg above his head and he doesn't want to <laughs> and why would he because it's not for him and I think that the you know it's interesting because the mental health first aiders um, I've always had a slight issue where where I've seen people who use them to tick the box and say we've got that covered um, they don't necessarily have an impact uh, because they're not used perhaps in the right way because they haven't people don't know about them or um just how they how they are communicated 
it then comes down to individuals who take upon themselves to do their jobs slightly differently. So a great guy, um, John Holland, who has, um, again, been on my podcast talking about men's mental health. And we were, um, he he's a brilliant mental health first aider, but he's taken it a whole kind of, I can say the next step, but he's taken it a very big step further, which is about running workshops and running kind of sessions for people to understand more. And he's doing kind of road shows and he's been doing all sorts of really interesting things to try and make it part of the strategy. So it's the big picture, mm-hmm. almost starting from an individual trying to work up to influence the whole organization. Whereas that, which is quite a big ask for an individual, bearing in mind, this is also on top of the day job. And that's the it's other job I have. It's like, actually, you can't, something as important as looking after other people's mental health well-being cannot just be, in your spare five minutes in your lunch break, if you get lunch break. So the strategy bit has got to pull together all the, I don't like the word initiatives, but all the the, um, processes and services and people that you've got in that space and and help them them link up a little bit more and help them create the space for those to to really take off and thrive rather than individuals trying to do it in their own way. Yeah. My, my concern is I've seen it before. I've seen that well-being ambassador model where people are doing it off the side of the desk and they genuinely are lovely people who really want to make a difference and they genuinely care. Um, but equally, I've seen that mental health. So they sometimes they become the mental health first aiders. But what they're expected to do, like some leaders, some managers actually, is signpost them, you know, and, and that that for me, that's a risk because they're not counsellors. They're not qualified for it. And it's a massive, you know, impact on their well-being. So it's like you say, it's you need great people like that, absolutely. But it has to form part of a bigger strategy that looks at the spot, the executive sponsorship, the culture, the performance, you know, processes. What are they actually measuring? The the tools and the support programs, um, you know, the policies and the procedures and the measurement, mm. and all of that kind of comes together. Mm. Um, and and it, it's just, do you know what? many of the people in these organizations they've done it before for massive change projects you know or it projects or whatever it's the same methodology it's just about people <laughs> you know and i, I guess it's also about science it's also looking after the people who are looking after the people so again i get involved with um you know whether it's it might be mental health first aiders people in hr managers the people who are assigned the responsibility i mean let's face it everyone should be looking after the people around them but the people who get that stamped on their um name or their responsibility on their role to say right this is your thing you're looking after this aspect of people's mental health and well-being but no one's looking out for those people and they're then at risk of burnout or stress because they don't know what the right thing is to do should i ask about this should i use this language am i going to get it wrong and it's a big unknown and then people I have seen practice where people end up not saying or doing anything because they're worried about getting stuff wrong and they don't know where to go and check stuff out because I should know this I'm a mental health first aid or I'm in HR and so on and that's why last year I um, launched a a service HR SOS which was because I was getting (laughs) HR people contact me saying I don't I'm not going to give any names this is not a um, you know this is this is just a phone call where I just need to run something past you I just I'm feeling slightly concerned about how I uh, what should I be saying what should I be doing and it's just having someone that you know you can confide in 
but a lot of people in organizations don't have that and they they have a huge amount of pressure on their own shoulders unless they are part of something that's joined up and they know who their trusted colleagues are that they can go and just check out things how are we doing things how are we responding have we noticed what are we doing about those kinds of things and i think the other things i've seen are okay we know we want to get an expert in right maybe we want to do a bit of training okay where do i go to find that individual how do I how do I know what discipline we need? How do I know if they're any good? Which is one of the pain points we wanted to take away. You know this, Lisa. We check everything, mm. you know, check qualifications and insurance, and so we've taken that away. Um, and the other thing is, how do I know what I'm bringing in is actually going to be- benefit everyone? And that is the that is one of the other biggest problems we've mm. solved. You can't, you can't. Yeah, okay, you can do a bit of training, but obviously it will depend on the level of the individuals you've got to then think about that. But that's not going to really drive change in your organization. Um, it, it has to be an ongoing thing that fits into the veins, the heartbeat of, of the company and all of the processes. So, um, yeah, and these are the conversations that we have with, with employers. Um, and it takes a while because you need to you need to then engage quite quite a lot of stakeholders because sometimes it doesn't just sit in HR or a mental health first aider, or you know, an ambassador. Or... Should it? <laughs> no. Or I mean, the best person to speak to is the CEO. But I've seen this before, where in a recent conversation I had, you know, this was with a chief people officer, um, and she's just a diamond in herself. I mean, that company would just be lost without this individual. Mm. Um, but the CEO doesn't care. He just tells us to do whatever he wants, mm. whatever she wants, and it's like that's wrong. You know, and she's done very well considering she doesn't have his executive sponsorship. And I think that's that's praise on her as an individual, you know, um, but that doesn't happen in every organisation. No. So, and, and it reminds me of some conversation I've had with members of leadership teams who know that something needs to change and needs to be an aspect of development. You know, we need to be looking at people's well-being and um, how we're supporting that. But then you have some people who actually just are not behind it because they just don't see it as important. They still see it as something that's a bit of a a luxury, as a bit of an add-on. Um, they don't see it as integral to everything else that happens in that organisation. And I've had really interesting conversations with individuals who are like, how do I change their mind? Like, how can I... Show them the numbers. Well, yes, and that's unfortunately, you know, some people they... <laughs> down to it's the bottom line it's about the numbers um for me that's always the last resort because it shouldn't be about the numbers um but for some people unfortunately that still is yeah well I think there's two ways to look at it is one is you know if you let this happen this will be the impact so I mean we already know I mean everybody's seen that Deloitte report 17.5 billion working days are lost Mm. Um, per year in the UK just from sick days which cost the economy 45 billion pounds mm. now we worked out that probably equates to about a thousand pound per day for every individual when you start to add up you know the impact on other departments other people etc so that that's significant in itself and then generally when people start to become upset you've got a high risk of attrition and the cost to replace Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously it depends on the level of the individual, but the average cost worked out for, you know, kind of kind of coming up to just a, you know, customer service or up to kind of manager level would be anything from one to five thousand mm. um, pounds. So that, that's one way to look at it. If you start to count up, look at your 
um, you know, your sickness and absence level and your attrition level, what that will actually add up. At. You've got a number there straight away. But the other thing to look at is if you do actually proactively, you know, build the right culture and build a personalized plan and, and enable and empower and support the well-being, you get figures like Gartner, who said that if you proactively take care of the well-being of your workforce, you'll get 21 more percent high performers. Now, we all know, I mean, I've not worked in HR, but, you know, quite an astute individual. I've all, you know about the bell curve, right? There's always them, those that, you know, aren't as high performers. You're going to get those in your organ. But imagine if you can bring your high performers up to 40 percent, mm. what will that do for your organization from a profitability, productivity, customer satisfaction, net promoter score perspective? That's one thing I'm, I'm now working to specify with every customer that we work with um, and I think that that goes back to what we're saying just now about performance the link with performance and I was talking with um Graham Hill this morning about performance and we were you know understanding how to cope what to do with imposter syndrome and understanding mindset and understanding what resilience really means and understanding a lot about what we how we approach the world how we engage with what's going on in our brain <laughs> And that's the bit that people often miss out. It's like, you know, do I have the skills to be able to do my job, like to physically do my job? Um, tick, you know, companies will make sure they have that, but they won't make sure that people are equipped with the the mental skills, confidence um, to be able to engage day to day with the stuff that they are going to come against. You know, when when they experience anxiety about something, everyone experiences anxiety about something do we know what that is and do we know do people then know how to manage that so it doesn't get in the way of them being able to engage with that particular um, situation once we understand these skills about how to manage what's going on in our brain we engage completely differently but that is all the stuff that drives our well-being I guess yeah. that's what you're saying it's not just about you know and you are very holistic so you have got the stuff about nutrition and um, you know yoga and mindfulness and so on and that's all really really important but so much is missed if we don't look at what is going on in people's heads in terms of how they are interpreting what their perspective is how they make sense of the world around them and if we could understand that a little bit more and give people the skills and the the knowledge and the confidence to be able to do that differently their well-being would be in a really different place yeah and one one number that you know really hit me when I started looking into this years ago was the Deloitte survey has been you know tracking this so they track the negative impact but the positive impact so they're saying that for every pound an employer spends on this you know this proactive well-being stuff mm. they'll get a return of five pounds mm. why me I mean that's a significant I put my money in that <laughs> that's a hell of a return yeah exactly but that comes down to what you're saying about we need to know where to invest that money and we need to know because the you know the space I'm in I used to talk a lot about mental health and well-being and then everyone went well you're a psychologist that means you just deal with that depression and anxiety stuff and I was like no that's the outcome let's look at what's going on in an organization to make sure that people are experiencing good health and, and well-being um, and when people say right I need to do something about well-being you know, people are, someone's saying that they're feeling a bit stressed. So I'm going to have a stress workshop or, um, we're, you know, they're, they're over it. <laughs> I'm identifying something. Um, 
where do I go for support? And there are so many people, the market is flooded with people now who are saying, well, we can do this and we can do that. But actually, does it make an impact? So it's it's about having confidence in what you're bringing in. Is it part of a bigger strategy? Do you know that it has been well thought out and it is fit for your organization? It's not just an off the shelf thing that goes back to the personalization point that we've, that we've made. Um, and do you know that it's going to be measured so that it does have an impact? Because if it doesn't, you can invest loads of money into something and it's, it just doesn't go anywhere. There's, there's nothing to show for it. So it's about that. So that quality bit is really, really important. You do want to be a little experimental. I always think about um, Gemma Ellison and I are doing some um, leader leadership labs and management labs in um, the autumn. And the lab is deliberate around being a bit ex experimental. You know, so when you're, you know, whoever you are at work, if you're a leader, a manager, whoever, and you're thinking something's not quite right. Why do I think that is? What's my hypothesis? What am I going to try that's different? How am I going to measure the impact if it makes a difference? Should I tweak that a little bit? You know, be experimental. We, we don't have all the answers. That's not all black and white, is it? You haven't got a handbook that says this is how to do it on day three. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. But uh, this is the idea of performance improvement, right? Continuous improvement. Every organisation is good at that. But speaking about manuals, I guess I see the whole well-being thing as let's use a car as an analogy, right? Okay, the exterior is the corporate identity, you know, what the car does. There's there's the values, right? The the way that the car works, that's the training, right? And you have to be specific about that particular car because, you know, what works for a Nissan won't work for a Volvo. Mm. Um, and then And then the engine, right? Nothing will go without the engine. That's the brain, right? What are you doing to support that from a performance perspective? And that, I think, so you could sit there and you could go, right, I'm just going to focus on the colour of the car. Great, won't go very far. You might have the best culture in the world, but actually your car's not going very fast, right? You can do some training on how the car works, on how, you know, what makes it not go, what stresses it, or what makes it perform better. But when you do the work on the engine, yeah. And then you can track all the KPIs and everything. Mm. And that's one thing I think we do really well. And this is where when I speak to consumer facing organizations or employee facing, we obviously are fully GDPR compliant, but I've got an overview of mm. really what makes individuals tick. That's where we start. We start with values. What makes a person tick, right? We're not going to share that individually, but we can aggregate that together. And then we talk about what are the, what are the focus areas within those values? And then, you know, then an employer will get the overview of, you know, you can see how that car's performing with, you know, the engine. If it's, if it, there are any downtime, it's got the sickness, the absence, how fast it's moving, how efficient it is. But then you can also see what's important to this car. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, out of Night, Night Rider, I'm showing my age now. <laughs> oh, I love Night Rider. <laughs> you know, just, just to give an analogy. But that's the thing. Think about it as a car. You can't, can't have one bit without the, it all has to work together and this is my this is my analogy for for organizations and how they operate and um, we're lucky enough because we have experts like you that we work with we can single-handedly pick who we know is going to help organizations if if they need help with painting the car we don't paint the car <laughs> we don't change the color or the you know what the car means its brand we don't do that but experts like you do so we yeah, can... and I think that's and that's that's very much how I work in terms of I got my I call them my dream team. So when I have you know something crops up in an organisation, I know exactly who to go to and bring them in. Um, and that's that's the power of collaboration, isn't it? But, and I think that's the 
also about having really honest and frank conversations about where are we at and what is it we need and I think sometimes people get a little bit um defensive or they're a little bit protective of where they're at thinking actually I don't want to expose just really where we are <laughs> because um there could be some criticism or um some judgment about that and actually when we can just be really honest and say you know we don't have a we don't have a strategy at all at the moment but we know we need one so let's start there or we've got a strategy but we it's not it needs some work doing to it to to kind of make it better. Great. Or Why would that be any, any different than any other project? If well, you just exactly. you're going to create a new product, for example, that's exactly. so different. Exactly. But I think it's exactly the same. But I think when people think about well-being, it's almost like, well, we should just this is we should just have this sorted out. People underestimate actually what goes into it. And when you said earlier about um, it's not a quick fix. If people think they're getting a quick fix, they haven't done it right. Yeah. In my opinion. <laughs> yeah. It's not. Yeah. No, absolutely with you on that one. Um, I once had a conversation thinking about the, you know, the reason not to do it. Mm. One of the employers said to me, yeah, but what if your product al allows one of my people to, to, you know, and picks a scab or something? And I said, regardless of whether it's with our product or not, this is going to happen at some point. Do you want to have the, the support in place to help them so that they don't fall off a cliff? Mm. Or do you want them to leave and potentially they become really mentally ill? Because whatever, regardless of whether it's ours, it will happen. Mm. So do you want to have the right measures in place? And we can't afford it as a business. I said, can you afford not to? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, when you ask, I think just reviewing what's in place and actually just, even if from this podcast this episode people thought I'm just going to go and start having conversations with what are we doing and what difference is it making I'm a real fan of um after action reviews and when you get the right people in the room um you know if you're a small organization try and get everybody there and asking the really good questions about what is it we're actually trying to achieve and what to look like and are we are we achieving it um and you can just have some really honest conversations just to work out what where you're at with that stage of development on that journey of improving people's well-being and you know what other ideas have people got to bring into the mix yeah no absolutely and I think there is no there's no silver bullet um but having a good holistic overview of what influences people's mental physical and financial well-being is often a good place to start so what would be your um sort of t key takeaways kind of key messages that you think people should take away from this episode of the podcast I think the first thing is don't wait for a problem to happen that's it's going to cost you dearly and we can we can show you what that is but the the, the rewards of proactively tackling it um you know are what far outweigh what the risks are um you don't have to have all of the answers you know as an individual mental health first aider leader even a ceo it's fine you know, just get get the right support. It it you, will surprise you how affordable it is and what the return on that investment is. Um, and open your mind. I would say, I like that. Hmm. Open your mind. I think when you have an open mind, all sorts of things happen. You just have you just listen to different conversations, or you listen to the conversation in a different way. You start to pick up different things from it. Yeah, like absolutely. Kathy, hey, tell tell us about the event in September that you've got coming up. So. One of the ways we're supporting our partners and, and kind of customers and potential customers is actually by talking people through 
not with the support of experts like Lisa, she will be there. Um, the road, what is the roadmap to a healthy mind and a healthy workforce? What are all the things that influence it? Because you can sit and think about mental health first aid and ticking boxes, but let's actually th look holistically what this means. What are the things that influence and therefore what are the things you can do to proactively support? So we'll be running this event on the 26th of September in London in a place called the Loading Bay Shoreditch from one until 6 p.m. And if you are an employer, um, then we will happily offer uh, complimentary tickets. So if you contact Lisa, she will um, put you in touch with us and we'll send you um, details. Well, event. what we'll do is we'll put your we'll put your contact details in the show notes okay. um, so that people can contact you directly. Um, that'd be awesome. Obviously, if people want to contact me, then I'll just put you put them in touch as well. Um, but I think from seeing what you're going to be talking about, it's again, it goes back to something I've, I'm a fan of, which is being very holistic. So you have everything from um, imposter syndrome and stress and careers and so much stuff um, happening that day. Yep. that I think it, it really gives a really um, good sense of actually what support is available and how how wide we need to be in our thinking when we are um, considering the well-being of, of our workforce. Yeah, perfect. Thank Fabulous. You. Thank you so much for joining me, Cathy. I have really enjoyed this conversation. Um, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, <laughs> have had very good chance at this. Um, so thank you ever so much. Um, I actually have, before I let you go, I have a blind question from another guest. Mike Brennan asks, Kathy, if you could start your journey again, what would you tell yourself? Ooh, that's a really good one. I would tell myself, keep going no matter what, which I, I do every day, actually, but it's more important than ever because this is, this is a very, you know, this is a long journey and this is about, making a difference to millions and therefore that's going to take a while <laughs> yeah but you are also one of those people who's very very driven and when you are destined to go somewhere even if it takes a while you'll get there <laughs> I'm super passionate about this and I know we can make a difference so yeah. I'm you know I don't wake up with Sunday blues put it that way I no. wake up excited about what what's happening on Monday because I love what I do yeah. fab yeah. thank you so much Kathy and we'll be in touch soon Thanks a lot. I hope you enjoyed the conversation today. I invite you to think about one thing that you will take away to think about or do differently. I'd be really grateful if you can give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brand point, leave me a short review. I'm really keen to help drive real change for better practice in the world of people at work and spreading the message will help that. I'd love you to also join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things that I'm developing, including free downloadable resources. Please do reach out to me directly to discuss the topics covered on this podcast or perhaps other challenges around people at work. And if we're not already acquainted on LinkedIn, please connect. All the links you need are in the show notes. Until next time, bye for now. Thank you.